Good afternoon and welcome back to the Aquinas Institute here at Blackfriars in Oxford. Uh, I'm Oliver Keenan, the director of the Institute. I'm joined on the panel uh, this afternoon by Father Richard Conrad, who was the former director of the Institute, who arranged this seminar series, De Magistro Aquinas on the Education of the Whole Person. And I'm delighted to welcome this week's speaker, uh, Dr. Foncha Ryan, who is di director of the Loyola Institute and assistant professor of systematic theology at Trinity College in Dublin. Now, Foncha's work is extremely interesting reading uh, of Aquinas. Her current uh, work focuses on truth-telling and the role of the church in a pluralist world. Uh, particularly of interest to me is her book on Aquinas's first question of the Summa Theologiae, uh, entitled Formation in Holiness on the Role of Sacra Doctrina in, uh, in the Christian Life. And it's particularly interesting to see somebody reading Aquinas not only as a master of sacred theology, but also as a master of the Christian life, somebody who teaches us not only how to think and talk about God, but how to live in ways that are faithful to God as well. Dr. Ryan's kindly agreed to speak this afternoon on the role of intelligence in good human living, Aquinas and the teachability of Prudentia. Thank you very much, Dr. Ryan. So thank you, Oliver, and indeed thank you to the Aquinas Institute for this invitation to speak today. Um, so the role of intelligence in good human living, Aquinas and the teachability of Prudentia. In 1947, the French Dominican Thomas de Ma, in the foreword to his translation of the Summa Theologiae, Secunda Secunda, questions 47 to 56, advocated a restoration of the treatise of Prudentia. Some 50 years later, the English Dominican Herbert McCabe, lecturing in Oxford in the 1990s remarked, we still have a long way to go, however, in rehabilitating virtue and thus prudentia as the center of moral thinking. The task of this paper is firstly to explore what is so important about the virtue of prudentia and why in 50 years did so little seem to happen. Why is it that most Catholics today are familiar with the word conscience yet largely unaware of the richness of the concept of prudentia. That in 50 years little has happened can indeed be disputed, for in one sense, much has been done. This virtue, prudentia, has been given sustained attention by philosophers and theologians. However, my claim remains that what Jean-Pierre Torel terms the architectonic role of this virtue has not been well recognized, nor has its centrality been well appreciated by the teaching authorities of the church, nor been communicated to the census fidelium. Nor importantly, does it seem that our governments have knowledge or confidence in this virtue. The second and shorter part of the paper will begin a consideration of how this lacuna might be addressed. What I have termed, following Aquinas, the teachability, the chilitas of prudentia. So in short, the aim of the paper 
is to insist on the retrieval of prudentia as a virtue of the utmost necessity for human life. So to begin, I think we need to look at the word prudence, in French, la prudence, in Latin, prudentia. Out of an abundance of caution, due to reports of dangerous blood clots in some recipients, the government has made the prudent decision to withhold the AstraZeneca vaccine until further research has been done. The governments of various countries wished to be careful and to avoid risk, to act prudently. The Cambridge English Dictionary defines prudence as the state of being careful in the way you make decisions or spend money so that you avoid unnecessary risks. It refers to behavior that is careful and avoids risks. The thesaurus offers terms such as caution, care, wariness, canniness as examples of how we might understand prudence. This is the popular, common understanding of the term. And this Daniel Westberg terms a miserable sort of prudence, self-protective, preferring safety to change, and far removed from Thomistic prudence. That prudence is a word used both in theology and in daily living adds to the complexity. In his commentary, the man devotes 13 pages to a study of le mot de prudence, the word prudence. The man notes that the English and French words share the same provenance in the Latin prudentia. Cicero, who seems to have been the first to have used this Latin term in writing, understands the term variously as wisdom, competence, know-how, foresight, and clear-sightedness. Cicero understood the Latin term prudentia as a rendering of the Greek term phronesis, a term found in Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics. And hence for Cicero, the term always carries an intellectual meaning. These so are the two main philosophical sources which inspired Aquinas's doctrine on prudentia, with Aristotle's ethics in its Latin translation being particularly influential. Ma warns that while carefulness and wisdom indeed pertain to the exercise of prudentia, if carefulness and precaution are allowed to dominate the understanding of the word, there would be no more heroes in France. And so to La Prudence of the Summer. The overall purpose of the paper is to highlight Aquinas's emphasis on the teachability of this virtue. In order to understand this emphasis, we need first to follow carefully Aquinas's exposition of prudentia, what it is and how it functions. Aquinas writes on prudentia extensively throughout his work, from the sentences to the summa. Prudentia is the first of the cardinal virtues presented in the Secunda Secundae. 
It follows directly from Aquinas' treatment of the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. We get an extended treatment comprising 10 questions. Because of the role that Prudencia plays in regard to virtue in general, much of what is said in the Secunda Secundae, questions 47 to 56, has been said and explained in the Prima Secundae, amidst the general treatment of virtue. The groundwork is laid here in the Prima Secundae, and the double treatment reinforces the centrality of this virtue. So what is virtue? Aquinas tells us that virtue is that which makes the possessor good and their works good likewise. This is why Aquinas argues that prudencia is what he terms virtue simpliciter. It is formational, not only of the intelligence, but of the person. As I grow into the virtue prudencia, I not only become good at decision-making, but I become good in my very humanity. As Aquinas writes, prudencia is necessary to humankind for living well and not only for doing good things, for acting well. That's in the prima secundae. So then we move to the secunda secundae. The 10 questions of the secunda secundae, questions 47 to 56, build on this foundation of the prima pars. Aquinas underpins again and again the pivotal role of this virtue for good human living, a crucial feature of his theological anthropology. The opening question, Secunda Secunda question 47, is an unusually long one, with 16 articles of varying length. Articles 1 to 3 explore the relation between intellect and will, Articles four to seven give us a deepened understanding of the significance of saying that prudencia is a virtue. Article eight considers the act proper of prudencia, which is to command. Articles nine to 16 further expand the scope of the virtue. Aristotle is a source throughout with adjustments and finessing where Aquinas judges necessary. Aquinas' teaching on virtue in general is ordered by a distinction between intellect, intelligence, and will appetite as the subject of virtue. It is important whether the subject of the virtue is in the intelligence or in the appetite, the will. The key task of question 47, article one, is to establish that prudencia, properly speaking, is in the reason, in the intellect, in ratione. In this article, Aquinas uses Aristotle, Augustine, and Isidore, developing and adapting the inherited understandings. The first objection presents a popular understanding of Augustine, the belief that love and appetite are the driving forces of human action. Augustine is cited again by Aquinas in the said contra, and again in the response, the corpus. Accordingly, prudencia, we read, is said to be love, not indeed essentially, but insofar as love moves to the act of prudencia, causaliter. Wherefore, Aquinas says, Augustine goes on to say that prudence is love discerning a right 
that which help from that which hinders us intending to God. Now, love is said to discern because it moves the reason to discern. Aquinas here uses Augustine to correct Augustine. Augustine goes on to say, Aquinas uses Augustine to correct Augustine to clarify that reason's role in the moral life is intimately linked to that of appetite. Love moves the reason to discern. And then to Isidore. Isidore, in his etymology, links the term prudentia with porovedence, far-seeing. And so we read, a prudent person sees as it were from afar, for his sight is keen and he foresees the event of uncertainties. As sight belongs to the cognitive faculty, prudentia pertains to the cognitive intellectual faculty. So Aquinas says, it pertains to prudentia to obtain knowledge of the future from knowledge of the present or past. And so it follows that prudence, prudentia properly speaking, is in the reason. Love moves the reason to discern. This interaction between reason and will is further developed in question 47, article one, ad two, and this time with Aristotle's help. This interweaving of intellect and will is a key development in Aquinas's thinking. It helps him to avoid the intellectualism of Socrates and renders a richer, more complex understanding of how intellect, reason, and will desire are interwoven in our decision-making, in prudentia. Herbert McCabe observes, by the time Aquinas came to write this part of the Summa, he had just written his commentary on Aristotle's De Anima and come to see the whole matter much more clearly than he had done when, for example, writing his early commentary on the sentences. And what Aquinas had come to see, McCabe says, was that when we come to the field of human action, there is no operation of the reason, which is not also an operation of the will and vice versa. There is an interweaving of understanding and being attracted that cannot be unraveled in practice. This interrelation of intellect and will is present at every stage of human action for Aquinas. There is no act of prudentia, right practical reason, which is not also an act of will. For it belongs to prudentia to apply right reason to action, Aquinas tells us, and this is not done without a right appetite. It belongs to prudentia to apply right reason to action, and this is not done without a right appetite. Prudentia, an intellectual virtue, is at play in all our human decision-making. Herbert McCabe comments, we are called upon, first it seems, to be intelligent. So the virtue of prudentia, while set in motion by appetite, is clearly a virtue of the intellect, of reason. It is in this sense that prudentia is indispensable to the living of a moral, to the living of a human life. And so now to look at prudentia and its relationship with the moral virtues. So formally we have said prudentia is a virtue of the intellect, a facility in making intelligent decisions about human behavior. 
Materially, prudentia is connected with the moral virtues. Engaging in the exercise of prudentia, one is always engaged in matters such as acting justly, acting courageously, acting moderately or temperately. Prudentia's role is to ensure these actions are done intelligently. In other words, that these other virtues are directed by prudentia. This is where we see the centrality of this virtue. Prudentia, an intellectual virtue, is a virtue in the practical intellect. It enables a person to act well, not merely to have the aptness to do so. Prudentia vero est recto ratio agibilium. This is one of Aquinas' key teachings in regard to prudentia. Prudentia's concern is doing things, doing things rightly. It is recta ratio agibilium. Applicatio ad opus, application to the work. This is the end of practical reason. The word applicatio, so important to this virtue, appears here for the first time. It emphasizes the role of, of prudentia as recto ratio agibilium, right thinking about things to be done, right practical action. It is the task of prudentia to apply universal principles to conclusions of practical application, but not to appoint the end of moral virtues. The concern of prudentia is always quae sunt ad finem, those things which are for the end. Both prudentia and the moral virtues are concerned with agibilia, things to be done. When the things to be done are considered from the aspect of true, then they are judged so by the reason. When considered from the aspect of good, then they fall under the ambit of the appetitive powers and thus of moral virtue. Intelligence, reason, judges the action, the agibilia to be true, and their goodness for the appetite is not independent of this truth. The truth of the thing to be done consists in a conformity on the one hand with the demands of human nature and on the other with the variety of changeable circumstances in which they come to insert themselves. While knowledge alone is not virtue, no virtue is separable from knowledge. Hence, while moral virtues are defined by Aquinas as properly virtues, virtue simpliciter in the formal sense of the word, these moral virtues, virtues of the appetite, remain governed by a virtue of the intelligence, prudentia. Here again, we see the centrality, the pivotal role of prudentia in the interweaving of intellect and will, so characteristic of Aquinas. And now to look at what I've termed prudentia's foundation, synderesis. So just as the speculative reason argues about speculative things, so practical reason argues about practical things. We have bestowed on us by nature speculative principles, such as the principle of non-contradiction. Likewise, Aquinas reasons, we must have practical principles bestowed on us by nature. 
And this he termed synderesis, which, I quote, is said to incite to good and to murmur at evil inasmuch as through first principles, we proceed to discover and judge of what we have discovered. Cinderesis dicitur in cigari ad bonum, et murmurare de malo, in quantum per prima principia procedimus ad inveniendum adjudicamus inventa. Cinderesis for Aquinas is a foundational competence, a habitus bestowed on us by nature. The fundamental principle is that good is to be done and evil is to be avoided. It is important to notice that as well as noting synderesis as foundational, Aquinas writes that synderesis is the principle from which we proceed to discover and to judge what we have discovered. It is the principle from which we proceed to discover and to judge what we have discovered. One could say prudentia is seeded by synderesis. The man draws our attention to the fact that Aristotle doesn't use the term synderesis. Furthermore, he says that noting this omission, Albert the Great sees this as pointing to the originality of the Christian concept of the Morali, of which synderesis is the sign. Another important concept in Aquinas, closely related to synderesis, is natural law. Aquinas notes the close connection. Synderesis, he tells us, called the law of our intelligence, insofar as it is the habitus containing the precepts of the natural law, which are the first principles of human action. It should be noted also that for Aquinas, natural law is, in a sense, a certain creaturely participation in divine law. Natural law and synderesis are foundational to the acts of a human. It is by synderesis that natural reason determines the end of moral virtues. It is prudentia which regulates the means, the way in which we live in accordance with our reason nature. It brings about, it is through prudentia that we become well and live well in society. The end of moral virtue, that is the very knowledge that it is proper that I live well in society, comes from synderesis, the means that I choose to live well pertain to prudentia. And now to something else that the man draws our attention to. He points to an important distinguishing factor between Aquinas and Aristotle. In Aristotle, he says, prudentia phronesis is never the subject of error. This is not so for Aquinas. Aquinas notes that there is inevitably a certain instability in matters of morality. A particular circumstance can seem to render inapplicable the principle believed to be universally valid. The work of prudentia consists in the application of universal principles to particular circumstances. In question 47 of the Secunda Secundae, Article 3, Ad 2, Aquinas cites from the Book of Wisdom, our counsels are uncertain. This citation is from a section in the Book of Wisdom, Chapter 9, which speaks of the weakness and limitations of human reasoning when it comes to the unfathomable thoughts of God. 
So while Aquinas attaches great importance to universal principles as rules of action, the spirit of scripture allows him to admit the fragility of human reason. And thus we read that Prudentia is fallible, and yet it ranks among the intellectual virtues as an intellectual virtue of the contingent. And it is essential for an intellectual virtue that it be ordered to truth. So we have a little bit of a conundrum. Returning then to the Prima Secunda, question 57, Aquinas draws attention to the fact that truth is not the same for the practical as for the speculative intellect. He notes, because the truth of the speculative intellect depends on conformity between the intellect and the thing, and since the intellect cannot be infallibly in conformity with things in contingent matters, but only in necessary matters, Therefore, no speculative habit about contingent things is an intellectual virtue, but only such as is about necessary things. On the other hand, the truth of the practical intellect depends on conformity with right appetite. This conformity has no place in necessary matters, which are not affected by the human will, but only in contingent matters, which can be affected by us, whether they be matters of interior action or the products of external work. Hence, he tells us, it is only about contingent matters that an intellectual virtue is assigned to the practical intellect, art as regards things to be made, and prudentia as regard things to be done. It is for this reason, in the practical order, that prudentia keeps rank with the intellectual virtues, according to Aquinas. In addressing this issue, Aquinas, demand notes, has put his own reading into the text from Aristotle to develop a teaching which has important consequence. Earlier in the Prima Secunde, in discussion on the relationship between intellect and will, it is clearly stated that prudentia's concern is with means, qui sunt ad finem. Decisions in regard to means are made in conformity with right appetites. Aquinas is focused on maintaining the fallibility of the means and the infallibility of the end. A problem arises when this distinction between the end and those things for the end is lost. Aquinas is aware of this and is clear in maintaining his position. His intention is to establish that at every stage, even when it makes a mistake with regard to reality, Prudentia doesn't fail to speak the truth because its judgment remains in conformity with right appetite. Dumas draws our attention to the fact that here we are in the presence of a new doctrine, a new teaching. So while Dumas reads question 47, article 3, as saying that error is rare in prudentia, it is possible, caused by that which is unforeseen or singularly complicated. For example, I might decide not to give money to a beggar on the street, but to, to give it to the Simon community which works with homeless people, thinking that that's a better thing to do because the man on the street that I've just passed will spend it on drugs or on drink, so I think. 
that man on the street may die tonight. If I'd given him the money, he may have gone to a hostel and stayed there. But I made my decision in conformity with the right appetite. I wanted to do good. I couldn't foresee what was going to happen in the end of the day. So error can happen by what is unforeseen or singularly complicated. And this will be of importance when we come to consider the teachability of prudentia. So it is on his understanding of the fallibility of prudentia that Aquinas founds also his profound appreciation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in particular, the gift of counsel. Because without the help of the gift of counsel, we risk becoming victims of our own errors. The gift of counsel, the gift of the Holy Spirit of counsel, directs a person, Aquinas says, to be responsive to the guidance of God who knows all things. And it is in this regard Aquinas speaks of an infused virtue of prudentia. I now want to move on and look in more detail at the actual acting out, if you like, of prudentia. I've entitled this section Practical Reason in Three Acts. For human action, three acts of reason are called upon. The first is to take counsel. The second is to judge, to judge if what one has discovered. And the third is precept or command, which consists in applying to action the things counseled and judged. Counsel or inquiry and judgment for Aquinas, both of these are in the speculative intellect, while command, he tells us, is proper to the practical intellect insofar as the practical intellect is ordained to operation. The virtue that perfects the command is prudentia. A virtuous person whose concern is with good human living takes good counsel in those things which are directed to the end of virtue. To take counsel is activity. With an end in mind, a person explores the means, the various ways towards that end. The end is taken as good. Care is now needed to ensure also that the way and the means are. Ea qui sunt ad finem are as important as finem. Good counsel requires care. It is often slow in reaching towards decision, but when occasion merits, it may be fast. Judgment, judgment concerns what has been discovered through the act of taking counsel, taking a view on what is relevant and what is not relevant with a view to command towards the end. Aquinas affirms the preeminence of the act of command among all the acts of the practical reason. Application is key. Aquinas insists on reserving the act of command to prudentia properly speaking. Counsel and judgment being attributed to distinct subordinate virtues. For both Aquinas and Aristotle, counsel and judgment cannot be separated from command, the proper act of prudentia. They guarantee rectitude. Demand notes that a deliberation deprived of command is not truly and perfectly good, and thus we no longer speak of virtue. Prudentia, whose proper act is command, is not a matter of will. The will may tell me to do this, but prudentia, a virtue of reason, will tell me this is what needs to be done for this end. And as the man puts it, reason reigns in the human. 
from counsel and judgment to command there is a progressive deployment of an activity which in each of its various movements carries the mark of a reasoning being. Prudencia ends in action. And having dealt with the three acts of reason involved in prudencia, counsel, judgment and command, in question 51, Aquinas deepens his analysis with the assistance of three concepts taken from Aristotle. These are eubelia, which concerns counsel, Sinesis, which concerns judgment in matters of everyday occurrence, and nome, which concerns judgment in matters of exception. Aquinas receives these three terms primarily from Aristotle. The Latin translator of the Nicomachean Ethics was content to transcribe the Greek terms, and so they are found untranslated in the Summa. Equivalents in Latin or indeed in English cannot be found. So to ensure Aristotle's meaning is understood, the original vocabulary is maintained and the concepts developed. Aquinas dedicates two articles to Eubelia, while Synesis and Nome get one article each. The core teaching is constant. Human virtue is a perfection according to the mode of humankind, to aid humans who are unable by simple insight to comprehend with certainty the truth of things especially in matters of action, which are contingent. Hence, while, for example, eubulia is not a virtue in the technical sense, that is to say, simpliciter, it is a virtue insofar as it perfects a human act. Eubulio, for Aquinas, is a virtue of the intellectual kind. Deliberating well, eubulia, is that which makes someone take good counsel, especially in matters which are contingent. Eubulio requires that one think out discover the means fit to a particular end, as well as the appropriate time and way of following the means. While one virtue is sufficient to guide good deliberation, good judgment for Aquinas needs two assisting virtues for prudentia. All this care is needed because of the contingency of human living. Alongside well-advisedness, good judgment, synesis is needed. Synesis, he tells us, is right judgment about particular practical matters. Aquinas speaks of people of good sense who, with synesis, will make good judgments. Sound, correct judgment depends on seeing things as they are, just as a good mirror accurately reflects the image. The judgment of synesis, likewise, according to Aquinas, thus depends on a cognitive power which perceives things as they really are. Furthermore, Aquinas, as theologian, notes that different natural aptitude for synesis exists in a person, but perfection comes from exercise and grace. Now, following Aristotle, Aquinas identifies a second virtue of practical judgment, nome, for situations which arise outside the ordinary rules of conduct. Decency is the word used in some translations of the ethics. The decent action may be better, better than some actions deemed just. For Aristotle, the decent is just, perhaps not the legally just, he writes, but a rectification of it, that's Aristotle. Aquinas's nome is used to describe an action which is, one might say, more than just, 
in situations when laws are inadequate or perhaps don't exist. For example, when my country is being attacked or in matters of complex truth-telling, or perhaps today in relation to questions of vaccine equity. These situations require what we might term a higher virtue of judging. And nome is the intellectual virtue dealing with exceptional cases. Dema, in his commentary, observes that the idea of nome represents one of the most definitive contributions of the Greeks to moral understanding. Situations arise in both political and ecclesial life where the straightforward application of the written law does not suffice. Indeed, there are times when to act in accordance with the letter of the law is to act wrongly. In such like cases, it may be necessary to override the law and make judgments in regard to action from higher principles. Nome is the virtue which enables us to distinguish between the just and the equitable, between the written law and higher rules, which are beyond codification and are of the greatest importance. In commenting on Nome in Aquinas, Cajetan asks, how can one acquire a virtue of which the object is by definition extraordinary, and thus does not lend itself to be founded on experience? Cajetan's thought is that nome, on the one hand, is linked to a certain natural perceptiveness, which is ready to come into play as the case presents. On the other hand, it continuously perfects itself, informs itself from instances which have already taken place in history. All this leads to Ma to affirm it is necessary to admit that nome is a difficult virtue. In summary, thus far, prudentia, an intellectual virtue, not only enables one to reason toward a good act, it is itself the art of skillful living. Acting out of virtue not only makes the action good, but makes the person good. Demand tells us that as such, it is for us a teaching of the greatest importance, because perhaps nothing has become of less importance to us than this thought, primordial and uncontested for St. Thomas, according to which, to be good and virtuous, we must take care of our intelligence. So from this advice of Dema that we must take care of our intelligence following St. Thomas, we move on to the second part of the paper, a shorter part, termed the teachability of prudentia. I'm translating Aquinas's the chilitas as teachability. And Dochilitas, I think, can be understood in two ways. First of all, we can ask, can the virtue of prudentia be taught? Is it teachable? And then also Dochilitas, in reference to my aptness to learn, can I be taught? Am I able to learn? Qualis unis quisque est, talus finis viditerei. The end each person pursues depends on the type of person they are. I begin this section with this quote, which Aquinas cites from the Nicomachean Ethics, as it describes succinctly Aquinas's concern, forming the type of person whose end is beatitude for eternal life with God. Thus far, the paper has argued for the centrality of the virtue prudentia, and together with the Ma McCabe for an advocacy, it is an advocacy for its retrieval. The question 
then arises. How do humans acquire prudentia? Is this virtue in us by nature? Is it teachable in both senses, as I have outlined? What will be presented here is simply the beginning of my forays into this very important question for human living. The formation of people of virtue, a formation which necessarily includes an intellectual dimension. There are three divisions in this section. Firstly, to look at how Aquinas addresses this issue. Then secondly, with reference to a recent work, we will discuss a possible methodology, a pedagogy for moral education. And finally, stemming from all this, I will offer some brief reflections. It's in question 47 of the Secunda Secundae, Article 15, that Aquinas considers if prudentia is in us by nature or can it be taught. In other words, is it possible to form, to educate a person into the virtue prudentia? And then from that, how might this happen? Aquinas, or sorry, Article 14 speaks of infused prudentia and acquired prudentia. Aquinas here is working from the definition of virtue as we've mentioned earlier, a good quality of mind by which one rightly lives, which no one uses badly, but also we must add, which God works in us without us. This definition applies in the first instance to infused virtue, theological and moral. It's only when we omit this phrase, quam deus in nobis, sine nobis operator, does the definition apply to prudentia in general, both acquired and infused. Hence, prudentia can be either infused or acquired. Prudentia can exist in someone without practice and experience. For example, in baptized children. And this Aquinas terms prudentia as per habitus, but not as per actus. However, exercise and practice by those who have come to the use of reason help the virtue to come to perfection. And this is where the question of teachability arises. Articles 15 and 16 of question 47 continue this line of thinking. Prudentia consists in an act of command, which is the application of knowledge to action. Without this knowledge, there is no exercise of prudentia, and without prudentia, there is no true moral virtue. Knowledge is an integral part of moral education for Aquinas. And yet significantly, moral education doesn't consist in knowledge alone. The essential point of virtue is not only to know goodness, but to act in a good way. The possession of prudentia involves more than knowledge. Aristotle throws ridicule on those who pretend to be virtuous by hearing beautiful discourses on virtue. They are like the sick who think they will become well by listening to the doctor without doing what the doctor prescribes, so he writes in his ethics. Moral knowledge alone is not moral education. A further step in teachability must be found. What has been begun in the last two articles of question 47 by Aquinas is continued by him in question 49. Thomas de Maire comments that together these articles constitute a program of education in prudentia. Aquinas specifically dedicates an article to docilitas in a question on what is termed the quasi-integral parts of prudentia. 
Question 49. Question 49, Article 3 is clear. Fertility, facilitas, teachabilities, teachable, teachableness, sorry, is useful for every virtue, but it is especially important for prudentia. Principiu tamen ad prudentiam. To grow into prudentia, Aquinas emphasizes our ability and our need to listen to the older, the wiser, those experienced in living life. For they, he tells us, are particularly competent guides in matters of action. Sig significantly, his advice is to listen to them, to their undemonstrated assertions and opinions, no less than to their demonstrated arguments and proofs, for their experience gives them an insight into principles. Propter experientium enum videm principia. Aquinas calls upon both Aristotle and scripture in making this point. Furthermore, while in Aquinas's view, it pertains to the nature of a person to want to learn, to be teachable, it also calls for much effort. If one wishes to flourish as a human, Aquinas notes, study is also essential. Minds must be applied to regular and reverent, respectful attention to the teachings of the learned, learned and of the ancients. This applies to all of us, for no one is self-sufficient in matters of prudentia. Laziness and pride are identified by him as two vices opposed to the chilitas. The other quasi-integral parts of prudentia, memory, understanding, acumen, reason, um, understood as research, foresight, circumspection, and caution, cautio, the need to be on our guard against things which hinder virtue, are all listed as parts of prudentia. So just a short word on the first article, memory, the necessity of a good memory to recall experiences. Memory advises on the need for diligent attention to the cultivation of a good memory. The need to acquire, to learn the skill of argumentation is encouraged by this article. Memory of the past enables us to argue well about the future. For the past is a rich reservoir of human experience and learning. The importance of using our intelligence in learning from experience and from the experience of others is illustrated by Aquinas in the Tertia Parse in speaking of Jesus. He notes, the knowledge of things may be acquired not merely by experiencing the things themselves, but by experiencing other things. Since by virtue of the light of the active intellect, a person can go on to understand effects from causes and causes from effects, like from like, contrary from contrary. Therefore Christ, though he did not experience all things, came to the knowledge of all things from what he did experience. In other words, not everything has to be experienced personally. We can learn from listening to the experience of others, from reading books. Importantly, a lot of these skills of prudentia are acquired through living in community and sharing life with people. Hence, seeking the right type of companionship of culture, of society, which fosters such development is important. Formation into prudentia is Aquinas teachers of particular importance for those who will be in roles and responsibilities of governing and leadership. He terms these roles the kingly office, 
roles which are directed towards the common good. The directive role of prudentia is noted as particularly important here. The question on imprudence, which describes those things which impede the exercise of prudentia, likewise indicates what an education in this virtue needs to address. Inconstancy, which is withdrawal from a definite good purpose due to failure or weakness in appetite. Failure in command, such as sitting on the fence or procrastination. Rashness, which he sees as a defect in the act of counsel. And thoughtlessness, which he judges as a defect in the act of judgment. The necessity for formation into prudentia is clear. The challenge is attendant evident. Education involves both an intellectual education and a formation of will, desire. Prudentia is influenced by legal dispositions, by laws on which the contingent decisions depend. But exactitude is not always necessary. A certain agility of mind helps prudentia to reconcile with law. Thus, there will be various interpretations of the general knowledge of law, for not everyone understands the law with the same practical intelligence and moral knowledge. A certain formation into eubulia, senesis, and nome is required. Empiricism needs to be guarded against, for while we have seen experience is part of formation to prudentia, Prudentia must be linked with the general knowledge and be founded on reason. As one develops this knowledge, one comes to share in a major or minor way in being a person of prudentia. Aquinas teaches that while grace suffuses all our actions, and while prudentia may be both infused and acquired, the responsibility for formation in prudentia is emphasized. In a comment that he makes on the words of Jesus, take no thought how or what to speak. Aquinas notes, our Lord did not forbid us to take thought when we have the opportunity about what we ought to do or say. He encourages his disciples so that when they have no opportunity of taking thought, either through lack of knowledge or through a sudden call, they should trust in the guidance of God alone. But if man instead or if a person, instead of doing what he can, were to be content with awaiting God's assistance, they would seem to tempt God. Were we to be content with awaiting God's assistance, we would be seen to tempt God. We are not to tempt God, but to take thought when we have the opportunity. Formation into prudentia is an education of intellect and will. It is a formation of the whole person as someone destined for eternal life with God, a formation which takes place in community, in society, in ecclesia. And now to the second section of teachability. Mark Jordan, in his teaching, Bodies, Moral Formation in the Summa of Aquinas, argues for an innovative use of the Summa for Christian moral formation. Jordan's advice is to read the parts of the Summa backwards. While obviously to read the Summa is not a sine qua non for one who wishes to flourish as a Christian, the pedagogy suggested is helpful. That is to say, to begin an education, a formation into Christian human flourishing with Christ and the sacraments, we read in the Tertia Parse that Christ's actions are our teacher, for Christ is the supreme pedagogue. And so Jordan tells us that the Prima pars and the tertia pars, as it were, frame the secunda pars. 
Moral formation in this way is placed firmly in its correct theological context. One learns not only that one should act in such and such a way, but why? And the why is simply God. And this, Jordan argues, is learned through participation in the sacraments. Christian sacraments cause grace. Grace is the main effect of sacraments. In this way, Jordan comments, Thomas reverses the Aristotelian priority of cause over effect. Aquinas treats causality only after he discusses the sacramental effect, which is grace. Sacraments cause what they signify, union with God, incorporation into the body of Christ. And incorporation into the body of Christ expands our capacities for action. And so we Christians become instruments of Christ. And of course, the Eucharist is the supreme example of this sacramental causality. The Eucharist is a gift of presence, bodily presence, bodily friendship. We put on Christ by imitation, by inhabitation, by eating, by loving presence. The Eucharist is a teaching event of the new law. It is learning by being informed again and again of the story to which Jesus Christ belongs, sacred scripture, and it is learning by repeating what Jesus Christ, the teacher, did first. Education formation is a matter of words and actions. We are taught through our bodies as through our minds. In the breaking of the word, we are introduced again and again to scenes of instruction. In the breaking of the bread to bodily communion. The project of moral education begins an intimate relation to the body. Aquinas's attention to the passions reminds us of this. And as Jordan notes, sacraments are the reiterated evocation and conferral of a troop of moral characters that make virtues livable. The goal of education in theology is to enable the will's natural love for God, for the good, to discover the correct choice of actions, the means for attaining the end. For any theory of moral teaching, freedom requires education about means. The presumption of docilitas, of teachability, of educability, is a cornerstone of prudentia, of right practical action. As embodied beings, destined for life everlasting with God, a schooling in virtues, learning about vices, guided by the practice of prudentia, is required. Following Jordan's advice and beginning with the Tershapars, a theological pedagogy with particular relevance to 21st century Europe is presented. The reader is introduced to the person of Christ and to the story of his life, to the sacraments and thus to the ecclesial community and to the ritual practices by which desire, appetite is schooled. In reading the Gospels, stories of Jesus, who is Prudentia incarnate, are presented for the consideration of the reader. What we discover is that Christian faith cannot be reduced to a following of law and regulation. The life of Jesus Christ, as presented in the Gospels, shows continuing negotiation between law and truthful living. Should one heal on the Sabbath? Can all foods be eaten? 
What about relationships with unclean women or tax collectors? In all these situations, prudentia is called into play. Knowledge of the law, the customs of a people, the rules and practices of a religious practice are required. This must be taught. The application in specific situations and context of general laws need a person who is well advised and has the courage to exercise senesis or nome should the context demand. To ensure justice, decency, truth is courageously followed. Prudentia, its proper exercise, encompasses of many faculties of the human, guides the virtuous living of life. And so some concluding thoughts. If prudentia is so important, why are the three theological virtues of faith, hope and charity familiar to most Christians? And many people know of the cardinal virtues of justice, courage and temperance, while few are familiar with the concept prudentia. Why is it that most Catholics today are familiar with the word conscience, and yet largely unaware of the richness of the concept of prudentia? Why isn't one of the Ten Commandments focused on prudentia, and where do we find prudentia in the Gospels? Given all that has been said in regard to the centrality of prudentia in the moral life and its complex composition, it is notable that in the Catechism of the Catholic Church 1994 edition, there is only one entry for prudence mentioned in the index. While there is much merit in this article, it is evident that there is no mention of facilitas nor of nome. And yet the need for such a virtue is evident to most Catholics seeking to live well in a postmodern secular world, a world wherein choice is multitude and decision-making complex. For Catholics, for Christians to be skilled in interpreting law, to recognize where law is, is not in accord with the wise reading of biblical precepts is essential today. In Ireland, we plan to hold a synod in a few years. This necessitates that a people be formed into an intelligent expression and understanding of their faith so that prudentia can truly be the guide. But as we have noted earlier, it is a difficult, a challenging virtue, a virtue of the mature. And so I leave the last word, not to Aquinas, but to Thomas de Ma. He notes, it is clear that prudentia Prudentia belongs to an advanced state of moral formation. It is not found in children or in primitive cultures. This is also why a moral life deprived of prudentia is a sure sign of basic moral development and implies an underdeveloped humanity. Sorry, a sure sign of a lack of basic moral development and implies an underdeveloped humanity. Thank you very much. <laughs>